0: Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and whom may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's troubles lies heavy on him, For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit, or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong the days, his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy for man, has nothing better than under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see uh, the busyness that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Hey, good morning. Obviously, I'm not usually the one up here. Um, this week, I have the opportunity to be with you and look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. So if you haven't already turned in your Bible there, if you were relying on the screen, I hope that you'll go ahead and turn to it in your Bible um, or on your phone, however you're using, because um, we are going to be looking at the text a lot today. Uh, if you've been around when I've preached before, you know that I'm very much like working line by line. It's how I just like to go through it. I think the Word of God is sufficient for us, and so I just want to make it clear. Um, that's, that's my role here. So, uh, let's get into Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord, you are wise. You are holy. You are good. And we know that we lack wisdom. And we don't always strive to get wisdom. Maybe we, we look for wisdom in all the wrong places. Maybe we value the wrong kind of wisdom. Maybe we are situated in a way that we think more about ourselves than we do about your honor, your glory. I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that you will remind us that even though we are limited in our wisdom, you are not. You know all things. You are perfect in your wisdom. And you have given us tools so that we might grow in wisdom, that we might fear before you, that we might enjoy the life that you've given us. And I pray that you will help us Know how to do that better this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had someone in your life who you thought was like extremely wise? Someone who was this paragon of wisdom uh, in in your mind. Um, They always had great advice. Uh, They knew how to deal with every tough situation. Um, They could think through an issue clearly and you would run to them for answers. Um, Maybe it was... A good parent, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, just an older person who you knew. um, They just had this glow of wisdom about them. And maybe, it's very possible, that person isn't in your life anymore. Um, Maybe they've passed on. Maybe uh, you've just grown up and you don't keep in touch anymore. But in your mind, you probably wonder, you have this thought, like, is there somebody who's wise like them? How many people out there are really wise like they were, or like they are? Is there anyone else like them? And that's kind of the opening words of our passage today. Who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? And so because those words kind of introduce this passage, I think they both summarize where we've been in Ecclesiastes before, and they also point forward to where we're going in this chapter today. Because throughout Ecclesiastes, if you've noticed, if you've been with us, the preacher has been exploring the nature of, of living life under the sun. He's been looking at the nature of wisdom. Um, Wisdom is necessary is one of the things he's talked about. Uh, We have to have it to live. Our life is kind of hard if if we don't have wisdom. But he's also talked some about wisdom's inability. Maybe its inability to explain every single thing that we could think about. He's also talked about how hard it is to get wisdom, right? How hard it is to grasp. He keeps using that hevel word, which means vanity. It's something that's like a vapor, a wind that we can't really get a hold of. So he wants to explore how wisdom helps us live life under the sun, or as we might say, life in a fallen world. And if you're looking at your Bible, maybe in the in the little index thing, and you're looking through the books, you'll see that Ecclesiastes falls in the section called wisdom literature. It's right there with Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Job, which are full of wisdom for us. So we say, okay... This has wisdom for us, wise content that we can use, so we want to mine it for every bit of wisdom we can get, all the wise content that we can pull from this preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, we want to get it." So in the last chapter, we saw the preacher lamenting. If you remember, last week we saw the righteous suffer and die young, and the wicked prosper, live long lives and are happy the whole time. Uh, and he confesses, and the preacher does that like, I don't get this. it doesn't make any sense. And we also, of course, we kind of share that. We don't really understand why things happen the way they happen. It doesn't seem fair. And so he kind of left us there in this place of, well, all of this I don't really know. I don't understand it all. It doesn't make sense. Then he comes to this point of saying in verse 23 of chapter 7, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? That's the question. Who can find it out? Who knows God's ways? Who can understand what God is doing? We don't know. So our wisdom is necessary. We've learned that. We have to have wisdom. And yet, ours is so limited. And that's what brings us right into chapter 8 today. So as we look at the text, I think an outline is helpful first. So just to kind of look at an outline of the text, um, see how I'm kind of dividing it and thinking of it. Uh, These kind of follow paragraph directions. maybe in your translation, I don't know. Um, But verse 1, first off, starts with considering the exceptional nature of a wise person. Verses 2 through 6 address how we can deal with uh, authorities in our life wisely. Uh, Verses 7 through 9 kind of proclaim the limits of man's power. Verses 10 through 13 look at the importance of fearing God. 14 and 15 remind us again to enjoy life and then verses 16 and 17, kind of bookends the section by reasserting the limits of human wisdom. So it kind of goes back to where it starts and says, wisdom is rare. We can't know everything. So that's kind of an outline. Maybe that'll help you just think through the text as a whole. But as we work through this passage, okay, that's not, you know, there's a lot going on there. So what's the key idea? What do I want us to all walk away and say? This This is what Ecclesiastes 8 teaches me. This is it. While wisdom is necessary, To live in this messed up and sinful world, our wisdom is limited. So, we must rightly fear God, put our hope in Him, and enjoy the life He gives us. I think if we think about this text in this way, we'll walk away understanding something bigger about God and His wisdom, something more about how we can live in it. So let's dive into Ecclesiastes 8. Y'all ready? Y'all seem so excited this morning. Let's do it. All right. Verse one, who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. So the preacher starts here by praising wisdom. Wisdom's a wonderful thing. And it's also a really rare thing, right? The first first two questions, they're kind of rhetorical questions. Um, what they're basically doing is pointing out like how exceptional the wise are. And how wise a wise person is, how wise, how rare a wise person is. So they're rare and they're exceptional, they're special. It's hard to find a wise person. And that question about knowing the interpretation of a thing, maybe that calls to mind a couple of Old Testament stories, right? The interpretation of a thing. You might think of of Joseph and his interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. You might think of Daniel and his interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream or his interpretation of the handwriting on the wall, right? You can imagine these these men in, in these Old Testament stories, they interpret a thing, and how do those pagan rulers respond? Who is like this man? Who is wise like him? Right? They recognize that there's wisdom in these people and, and they ultimately give them positions of authority and power. So wisdom is obviously rare. And when someone has it, it's apparent. Uh, we use the phrase like it's written all over your face. That's kind of what he's saying here. Your countenance is changed by your wisdom. The way that you live your life, the way that you look to others is different when you're wise. So that introduction, this this verse 1, is helpful to us because it reminds us of how uncommon wisdom really is. How hard it is to find a wise person. And that helps us see an important truth. We probably aren't the wisest people around. When you're in a room, you're probably not the wisest person in that room. So you should seek to grow in wisdom, right? If you aren't wise, you should seek to grow. So that gives us somewhere to start. We say, okay, I need wisdom now, knowing our, our lack of wisdom, <laughs> we're open to hearing what the preacher says about needing it. And next, in verse 2, he switches to urging the readers to use wisdom when they deal with the king. So, let's read that real quick. Verse 2 says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. Okay. How do we deal with this? How can we? This is hard. How do we deal with this? This is directed, obviously, it's directed at someone who's like an advisor to a king, saying, When you're in there helping the king make decisions, this is how you should act. Okay, we don't have a king obviously. And if we did have a king, the odds are that none of us here would be advisors to him, probably would never even meet him. So how do we take this wise advice and bring it to our lives? Well, anytime, I think this is a good good rule of thumb, anytime the scripture teaches about how we relate to the king, we either connect it to how we relate to God, right? He is king over everything, or we relate it to how we relate to our authorities in life. And I think in this case, he's talking more about how we relate to the authorities in our lives. We all have authority. Uh, Government, bosses, parents, whatever it may be, you live in in a situation where someone has authority over you. Maybe you have authority over somebody else, but it's likely that you live under authority as well. We all have that. So, using that idea, we can definitely see how these instructions could apply to us as well. The first instruction that he gives here is, Keep the king's command. All right, now that word keep, two different ways you can interpret that. One, you could say, okay, keep the commands. Is the same way I would say, like, keep the law, right? Where I would say, I'm going to do what I'm told to do. I'm going to follow the rules. That's kind of the idea there. Um, and that's helpful because remember Paul taught us in Romans 13, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So we are subject to our ruling authorities. We shouldn't be lawbreakers. Right? That's one thing. Whether it's breaking the laws of our city, country, whatever, or breaking the rules of our home, or breaking the rules of our workplace, or breaking the rules that we have that are over us at any point in time. We should not be characterized as rule breakers as Christians. We should give honor to those who rule who have leadership positions around us. Recognizing, of course, that God's the one who put them there. God is the God of authority and whatever authorities we have are put there by God. And we should respect them in the same way that we would respect God in some sense. Recognizing they're human, of course. But that word keep, so that's one meaning of the word keep. But another word, another way we can think of it is like to guard or protect something. So if I said, like, I want to keep it safe, I want to to guard it, protect it. And in that sense, our keeping the ruler's commands is more like that we would respect and uphold and care about the nature of the law uh, rather than trying to, like, subvert it, find a way to work around it. Like, well, it's not exactly what it said. Maybe what's helpful here is this distinction between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. You've heard that before. Right when my kid is eating a lot of candy and I say, okay, No more candy today. And then a few minutes later, they've got a cookie. It's like, okay, well, Dad said no more candy today. But the spirit of the law was you've had enough sweets, right? So we should not just follow the letter, keep the law, but we should go so far as to follow the spirit of the law and recognize, like, what's the purpose of this? Why is it here? And I don't want to figure out, oh well, it didn't say that exactly, and try to work around it. Those are two ways that we're keeping the law. And, of course, this applies government, workplaces, classrooms, families, wherever a power structure exists. We recognize there are rules. We should follow them. And then the preacher continues in verse 3. He says, don't take your stand in an evil cause. In other words, I think what this is telling us is don't argue with those who are in authority over you, even if what you think they're doing is evil. Now, you may say, hold on a second. There may be a case where I need to do this. I know that I can stand up against, like, you know, evil authority. He's going to get there in a second, okay? But right now, just take this instruction as it comes and say, okay, don't argue. Here's the deal. I mean, people in authority (laughs) are sinners just like everybody else. And when sinners have power, they hurt people. It can be dangerous for the people who are under their leadership, absolutely. And so we are left with this sense of fear regarding our rulers because we know they can hurt us. But we still have to recognize where their authority comes from, God's put him in that place. So our calling is to deal with them wisely. Notice what he says there. Verse 5, he says, The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way to deal with it. So wisdom helps us know how to answer the evil direction, evil command, evil rule of a king. This one may be like helpful for kids, for example. When your parent gives a command, the wise thing, don't argue. Even if you think that's a bad command. Even if you think, well, that's evil. That's wrong. It's probably not evil. I doubt it's evil. <laughs> but maybe th- maybe your parent's just in a bad mood. Maybe they're sinning against you. That's very possible. But wisdom says, don't fight back. Don't argue. Follow the command. And maybe later, you can have a conversation with mom and dad or mom or dad and say like hey the other day that was I was hurtful when you said that that thing to me in this way and i bet your parents would say oh yeah you're right i'm sorry that i spoke to you that way that wasn't it wasn't a good way to do that okay there's a right way to go about this kind of 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 bringing up an evil deed okay that applies to all kinds of scenarios that's what wisdom looks like it's applying this to all kinds of different scenarios so but then you say all right, well, how about in a more political sense? Because this is talking about a king. We, we, we see how that would apply in that setting. How does this apply to the U.S. and our democratic republic? How do we make this work here? Because we don't, I mean, how often do we get to actually speak to our senators or congressmen or, or the president? Right? We don't get the opportunity to do that very much. So in our setting, it's the proper time and the just way, as he's saying here, to address evil causes is to vote. That's the system that's been put in place for us to address evil causes, to address the, the bad deeds or the, the evil ideas of our leaders in our government. So maybe our, this sermon's a week too late, um, but maybe that'll be helpful in your mind to think, okay, what's the right way? What's the proper time and the just way to address this? I need to be active in that. Then verse 6 comes, and this is kind of transitional, because he says there's a proper time and a proper way for everything. Leaning off of what he just said about proper time and way to talk to a king. This is kind of, that sounded like Ecclesiastes 3, didn't it? You hear that? There's a proper time and way for everything. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. Yeah, okay. Even if our trouble lies heavy on us. So even though, even though we don't understand everything, we don't have the power to change very much, if anything, the the thing we have to recognize is that our leader's power is limited too. They don't have universal power. Listen to verses seven and eight. For he does not know what is to be. The leader doesn't. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge for more, nor will wickedness deliver those who were given to it. So even our authorities on this earth are limited in their power. They don't know the future. They don't know. They can't control. Uh, when they're going to die. No one can. And in a sense, that ignorance actually kind of makes them even more dangerous because they think they know everything. Often, right, someone who's in a great position of authority thinks they have this great amount of wisdom, great amount of power. And so they try to exercise all this power. They're ignorant people who are attempting to exercise power over other ignorant people. And on top of that, as we're going to see in just a second, evil abounds in the hearts of man. And so, people in authority do evil things. They make bad decisions. They hurt people. Verse 9 All this I observed while applying my heart to all that's done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. If you're in a position of authority, you probably hurt people sometimes. If you're under authority, and you are, you've been hurt by people who are in leadership positions. Living life here under the sun in this fallen world, full of sinners and run by sinners, (laughs) requires wisdom. A great deal of wisdom to live well here. So now we're kind of, just take a second, think back over this. He's come in, he said, wisdom is hard to get. Not many people have it. Anybody who is wise is, boy, they're special. But here's how you can wisely deal with a king who probably thinks he's really, really wise. Maybe he isn't. And we're thinking, okay, you're telling me all this. How do I get more of this wisdom? How how do I? You're going to tell me that next, right, preacher? You've said wisdom's hard to get. Here's how you live under a king. And nobody can really know anything. Everybody's just like, oh, no, what's going on? I can't figure it out. How do I get it? You're going to tell me now how I get the wisdom. And he doesn't. He 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 doesn't give us the secret to living wisely in this messed up world right now. He he says, "How can I know how it will be? I can't know how it'll be." He doesn't tell us. And that's that's part of like the wonderful honesty of Ecclesiastes is he brings up these hard questions that we all have and then he just leaves us with the question. At least for a minute. At least for a minute. Cuz he doesn't tell us at first how we can get the wisdom. Instead, in verses 10 and 11, we see a really familiar lament. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. And this is also vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Can you feel his frustration boiling up? You feel it inside you too, yeah? Right? These evil leaders... Not only rule over people, but these wicked leaders are getting an honorable funeral. Yeah, and they're celebrated at church. Oh, they went to church every single week. They were such upstanding pillars of their community. They're actually wicked. Why are we honoring these people who are so wicked? And on top of that... Our justice system is so messed up, nobody can really even fear punishment because, uh, well, there's all these technicalities and the settlements and acquittals, and everyone's just doing all the evil they want because they know nothing's really going to happen to me. I'm going to get away with it. It's going to be fine. The preacher's overcome with that sense of, this is a messed up place. We heard it already in, in chapter 7, verse 15. He said, "...the righteous perish, the wicked prosper, and it's vanity." We share that lament. We recognize that it doesn't seem right. Our world is broken. I mean, our media is full of people who call evil good and good evil. Our culture rejoices in what we know is wicked, and then they call us evil for not celebrating it with them. Our politicians are corrupt, they're self serving, they're money hungry. And then the dirty sinners in Hollywood and Washington, D.C., they have more money and more fame and more power and more stuff than all of us combined. That's vanity. So we identify with this frustration, and then the preacher gives us an answer. Finally, thank you, preacher. He points us to hope. Look at verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So now we get to an answer. We wanted to know earlier, how can can I know how it will be? I want to know the answer. I I want to know how I can gain this wisdom. How can we gain wisdom to know how to live in this messed up, sinful world? And his answer is fear God. Fear the Lord. Proverbs 9, if you remember, tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want wisdom, fear the Lord. So, what does it mean to fear God? This is really important concept for a believer to understand, because the word fear is kind of a misdirection. So when we first hear that, we think of like, kind of fear, right? That's not what we're talking about. It's not being scared. We, We kind of think of like Halloween fear when we hear that word at first. In that sense, as the dictionary would say, fear is the distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, pain, or evil. And that sense of fear is absolutely applicable to God. There are people who should fear God that way. The wicked, the unrepentant, should fear God this way because God will absolutely bring pain and danger and evil upon them in the end. They should absolutely fear the wrath of God that is just for their sin. But the holy fear of God, what the preacher is encouraging us to have here, that is not an emotion aroused by a sense of impending danger. The holy fear of God is reverential awe. It's wonder and admiration. It's respect. It's submission to God's power, to God's sovereign rule. The fear of God is is rightly recognizing God's godness and our non-godness. So why is it that fear, this kind of fear, is the beginning of wisdom? How does this bring wisdom to us? Because when we recognize that God is God and we aren't, when we see that God is holy and separate from us, when we're overcome with awe and admiration, when we're thrown to our knees in reverent worship and and, and praise of our living true God, when we see his significance and his majesty and his might and his glory, we see how insignificant and how dull and how weak and how inglorious we really are. And it's only when we like, recognize our inadequacy, our brokenness, our weakness, our need, our foolishness, that we can grow in godly wisdom. It will be well with those who fear God. Because they recognize the limits of their power. They recognize the limits of their knowledge. They recognize their limits and they put their hope and trust in God and His wisdom, not in themselves and their own wisdom. So in this messed up world, we recognize that we can't hope in our governments and rulers. The fear of them is not the right kind of fear to have. We can't put our hope in the right person in the White House. We can't put our hope in a red wave. We fear the Lord and we hope in Him. But the preacher's not done. He's going to give us one more bit of advice for living wisely in this fallen world. Before he does that, though, he's going to remind you one more time of how messed up it really is. Look at verse 14. There's vanity that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this is also vanity. There's that paradox again. He's just got to make sure you remember this, how messed up it is. And the first way we deal with this, fear the Lord. But now he gives us another solution. Verse 15, And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Enjoy life. That's a hard one for us. Because we always feel guilty for having fun. I was like, ah, I probably shouldn't have spent the money on that. I probably should have done this instead. Maybe that vacation, maybe maybe we should just only have a vacation every three years or so. Uh, we just don't, uh, I don't know, you know, we could give that money to the poor. Okay. God has given us great joy in this life. We should enjoy it. This isn't the first time the preacher told us to do this. In fact, this is the fourth time in Ecclesiastes that we see this whole idea of enjoy life. He's going to say it two more times in this book. So it's a really important part of living wisely, apparently. A wise approach to life under the sun is to find joy in the gifts that God's given. But here's the key. He didn't just tell us to enjoy life. He told us to fear God, And enjoy life. So our joy, a proper enjoyment of life, has to be rooted in a proper fear of God. Enjoying life for its own sake just becomes idolatrous. It just becomes gluttonous. Let me just get all this good stuff I can have. The pagan philosophers, the Greeks, were really good at this. This whole idea of like, this is all there is. You better just have as much fun as you can right now. Fill yourself up to the brim, throw up, and do it again. True joy is rooted in the fear of God and we can't have the real joy without the real fear. We have to recognize these wonderful gifts, food, drink, marriage, life with people that we love. All of those things flow from the hand of a sovereign God who loves us. And we can enjoy life because we know He rules over it all. And I really think that this, this fear God, enjoy life, this is what was the Westminster guys were getting at when they wrote that first question, right? In the catechism, they said, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever? If you are rightly fearing God, that is bringing Him glory. You, We, we adore Him and magnify His might and His majesty, and through that worship, we are bringing Him glory. And we are learning how to enjoy Him. We rejoice in the good gifts of life, and and, and most of all, we can rejoice in the gifts of life to come. So the preacher's kinda of taking us on a roller coaster, right? He's he's taking us up this this hill of of oh no one's really wise and here's how you can be wise with your king, but ah, it's still a messed up world, but you should fear the Lord, and that'll help. Uh but it's a, still a messed up world and you should enjoy life. And then he finishes on this this kind of this kind of again. We don't know it all, verses, here in verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, to see the business that's done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that's done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So the preacher ends where he started. Wisdom is, is this this vapor that I can't get a hold of. We can't figure it out. However much we toil and seek, we can't find the answers. And that reinforces the whole point of this chapter, that while wisdom is necessary to live in this messed up world, our wisdom, it's limited. So what do we do? Fear God, put your hope in him, and enjoy him. Enjoy the life he gives us. Because our wisdom is limited, but his isn't. The rulers of this world, they're not worthy of our fear, but God absolutely is worthy of our fear. Our wisdom, the wisdom of our minds can never give us hope. The rulers of this world can't give us hope. Only God can. The pleasures that we could gather, all the ones we could stuff into our faces will never give us lasting joy. But recognizing where those come from and enjoying them rightly while fearing him, that will give us lasting joy. Wisdom for living in this world only comes from a wise God. So that is a wonderful revelation from the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I could stop there. But we have a greater revelation than that. Because wisdom is ultimately embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus emulates all of this for us beautifully. He rightly submitted to his earthly authorities. He was arrested. He was put on trial. He knew when to keep his mouth closed. He knew the right time and the proper way to address an evil cause. He also dealt with their evil intentions, right? The Pharisees come to try to get him before his time had come, and he sneaks away. He basically disappears. When he's facing the cross, he humbly and submits to his father's will. He feared God the father, more than he feared soldiers with swords and ultimately more than he feared a cross. And he lived with joy. His first miracle is making wine at a wedding. And he said, the son of man came eating and drinking and they called him a glutton (laughs) drunkard and a friend of sinners. He lived with such joy that people looked at him and said, he must be a, what, what is he doing? He's having way too much fun. He taught his disciples, these things I have spoken to you, all of his teaching. What's the purpose of it? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Only by abiding in Christ can our joy really be full. So (laughs) the frustration that we feel with the preacher, the frustration we feel when we see the wicked prosper, it's answered by Christ. We know he will judge everyone in the end and perfect justice is going to be served. That fear that we may have of evil or unwise decisions of our leaders, it's answered in Christ. He is our perfect, wise king. He is the king. His kingdom has no end. We are are citizens of a way better country than the U.S. is. Our, Our need for hope is answered in Christ. We have a hope that's secure, a sure and steady anchor because Jesus has gone into the inner place. He intercedes on our behalf. Our, Our inability to find out God's work under the sun, our ignorance, our search for wisdom is answered in Christ. Peter said, though we have not seen him, we love him. Though we do not see him now, we believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. And we know we will obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Our wisdom is lacking. We don't know it all. But in Christ, we know that our God is faithful. In Christ, we know our salvation is secure. Our joy should be inexpressible because of that. The preacher looked at the world under the sun and he saw the difficulty of living wisely in a messed up world. But he knew the answer was found in recognizing his own limits, fearing God, and enjoying Him. But he could only see the shadow of the answer because we know the fullness of the answer is Jesus Christ. We trust in him as our wisdom and our answer. Let's pray. Lord, we are overcome by your goodness. We're overcome by how you show us our need. How you teach us our ignorance. You show us that we can't know everything. And we're grateful that 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 inability that we see in ourselves, that that foolishness we see in ourselves that drives us to long to know you better because you are the source of wisdom and knowledge, to know Jesus better because in him are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Help us, Lord, to fear you well. Help us to fall before you in reverence and awe and worship, to submit to your power and control. And help us to enjoy you rightly. To enjoy the gifts you give, recognizing that you've given them for our pleasure, for our good. And because you love us, give us grace to grow in wisdom. To grow in our likeness to Jesus, so that we might bring you greater glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me.